Hey, I hope everybody's doing okay. I hope all your loved ones are safe. I hope you're well. I hope everything's doing all right. I know it's a tough time right now in the world. I know there's a lot of uncertainty going forward, and we really don't know when things will be back to normal. And it's it's hard because right now, in addition to everything going on with all the workers on the front lines and all of the despair facing the country and the world, there's a lot of empty time. And while you want to stay safe and you want to be productive, there's no sports. Sports are an outlet. Sports sports give you the opportunity to tell stories, to to forget your day job, to forget what you're doing, and to focus on something else in the world that just kind of brings people joy. And right now, we don't have that. So what I want to do is I want to help tell some of those stories. I'm gonna I want to give people the fix of the sports that they've been missing. I want to help out in that regard. And I also want to do it a little bit so I can give back. So what I decided to do is I started up this video podcast that you're hearing me say right now, calling it a pond for the review. It's a double meaning. I'm going to be kind of going over some things, interviewing some fun guests, people in the sports industry you know about, former athletes, current athletes you know about. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what I'm going to be doing is telling people stories, rehashing good times, telling stories maybe you don't know about or maybe have never been heard before. And what I'm going to do is be putting it out on all social media, all ads you brought on Twitter and Instagram, throwing it on LinkedIn and Facebook. It's going to be on YouTube. I've made a separate channel. All the links will be here. And I'm going to be interviewing interesting people, telling interesting stories. What I want to do is I want to do my part. To do I, I'm not a doctor. What I can do is help contribute. So what I'm doing is I'm donating all of the proceeds from this podcast for the duration of it, which I hope is for a very long time. I'm going to get all to feed in there because they're doing a great job. They're contributing to all the local food banks. I think it's fantastic. So if you can, maybe throw a little bit in there. And it'd be great if you can't. I totally understand. Just trying to make a little bit of an impact. And anything you can do, if it's in your means, it'd be great. It, just anything. And if you, if you can't, I totally understand. Still stick around. Listen, enjoy the interview. I hope I can give you a little bit of that over the next for a few weeks, few months, and see how long this goes. Really appreciate it. Here's our first episode, and I'm excited to share this with you. Now I want to welcome in friend of this show, um, Ali Trost, radio host and sports reporter at Sports Radio 810 Kansas City. Um, Ali, how are you? How's everything going with your quarantining? And when are sports coming back? <laughs> well, for starters, my quarantine's been going pretty well so far. Got the whole at-home work up or work setup going. Uh, the only thing that's difficult, I live in a studio apartment, so uh, 500 square feet can get pretty cramped when you are forced to stay inside for so long. But definitely, definitely looking forward to sports coming back. A huge part of my job is going out to practices each week, covering games and other live events. So while I've still had a lot to do and a lot to talk about, uh, it's definitely been tough not having that face-to-face human interaction that I'm so used to and have you know, have been throughout my entire career. So it's been kind of tough on that front, but fingers crossed that we'll see sports returning very, very soon. So, so what did you do, especially just for, just for the draft? How did, did you guys do like, a, I know a lot of some of the Redskins players were doing like Zoom interviews with the local media. Was that similar to what you were doing? Yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs did a fantastic job getting all that set up for us um, with the Dropbox, with all of the video and audio files after each Zoom conference 
included. And that definitely made our jobs a lot easier. I host a radio show each uh, each Saturday. And during the draft, that was obviously a pretty big day. The Chiefs yeah. made, uh, I want to say, four picks up to that point before making uh, their three on the final day, I believe it was. So there was, you know, a lot to talk about. And thankfully, you know, we had access to all of the audio and kind of quotes from not just players, but from general manager Brett Beach, Andy Reid, the head coach, the owner, Clark Hunt. So a lot of great resources there. And yeah, just literally covered the entire draft from my couch and from my desk. So, so, so were you live during, for the, the day three, you were live just hearing it in real time and just kind of reacting on the fly? So my show was in the morning before, okay. the, um, you know, the, the actual draft portion actually started, but we had live coverage throughout every night of the draft. So um, our radio personalities were, you know, giving live analysis and, and really our focus was more so doing our, our analysis and our news breaking as it relates to the chiefs, obviously keeping up with what picks are happening when, um, but focusing mainly on how it would impact the chiefs and then also the division as well in the AFC West. So prior to the draft, what, what kind of stuff were you guys just mostly focusing on pre-draft stuff or were you focusing on like the baseball potentially coming around the course of just kind of just draft prep for the past couple of weeks as you've been quarantining? We've been talking everything. You know, it's funny working in sports right now. A lot of people assume, oh, there's no live sports going on. What on earth are you guys talking about? Well, there's a ton to talk about. I mean, you can either take the approach of talking through some of the proposals that different teams and organizations are throwing out there. Major League Baseball, for one, has been incredibly vocal on what they think, you know, they might do in terms of getting baseball back. So they've been pretty open with sharing some of those proposals and whatnot. Major League Soccer has a couple that they're tossing around. So kind of analyzing those, what would work, what wouldn't, taking the time to do some longer form deep dive interviews with players, coaches, media members, and then obviously with the draft focusing on that heavily as well. So a lot of my pre-draft, you know, lead up was going through mock drafts, which it was kind of a hit or miss either way, right? You kind of just break down which players would be the best fits based on the needs and kind of where players would go. There were a couple of shockers there, but yeah, just, you know, prepared by looking at where the Chiefs needed to add depth and then kind of looking at certain players that would be a good fit and making sure that, you know, up to speed on, on all of those things. So overall, it was a really fun couple of days was kind of missing that live adrenaline rush that you get when there's an event happening in real time. Um, so looking forward to, you know, when that returns in the actual game playing setup, but you know, I think there are a lot of things from this draft that I would like to see down the road and things that, you know, I think would be worth keeping around. I loved the authenticity of the reactions, getting to see players in their childhood home with their families. I thought that that kind of added an element that we don't usually get to see in the NFL. NFL kind of has this air of stuffiness at times where, you know, you might, it, it seems to be always a bit more of a production than some other sports are. And so I kind of liked, you know, peeling back the layers, Roger Goodell in his big leather chair, kind of getting comfortable reading the picks. And I just felt like it was more relatable. So I, I hope that maybe they take, uh, they take this experience and, and use it to influence future drafts and other things. Absolutely. I think the whole production of it went fantastic. I think especially when it's something you've never done before, there's going to be flaws. You've got two different networks. I know ABC was doing a broadcast with some of the college football guys, ESPN, NFL Network. I know they had 
uh, Kurt Warner and Jeremiah in there, and they were kind of doing a little bit of everything. The one thing I kept noticing, I don't really hear anybody talking about it, is they kept cutting to Lewis Riddick, and nobody really said anything, but his delay was like six seconds longer than everybody. I'm like, wait, wait. And that's, but it was, it was, it was, I think it was great. Bill Belichick's scouting department might be the best in the NFL. That, that, Husky was fantastic, but like I think it went really, really well. The only they could definitely because the thing is I don't know if they're going to be able to have a live draft next year, and they don't know if they're going to be able to have a live draft next year. If they need to take some elements from this and put it into that, I think they've got a lot of stuff to work with. Maybe just connection speeds, maybe just maybe the technology will be better. But I think they have a really good product, and I think what they can do is since they normally only have maybe what 40, 50 people in the green room, maybe they can send out. They've already got all these home studio kits. Send them out to the guys that aren't invited to the green room. Get all the guys come up on the stage, and the guys maybe third or fourth rounders they've got kids and you can just see live reactions with their families i think it'd be great yeah no i completely agree and i think you know talk speaking to kind of the lubritic uh delay that was really bad i think you know it kind of made me realize that maybe the most essential part of the draft broadcast is you know making sure that the analysts are in a uh, a better setup and you know more studio like situation than their own homes, but there are definitely parts of it that work. So I think it's you know like you said next year if they are forced to do another virtual draft, kind of already having this as a really good guide I think moving forward for having all of you know all all things considered everything that could have gone wrong. I think you know it, it turned out pretty well. I was thoroughly impressed uh, with the the minor number of of issues that popped up when really everyone was expecting it to kind of be this, uh, bleep show if you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, yeah. I thought it, I thought it went really, really well. And then they kind of, they kind of groomed it. I, personally, I, I know there's somebody who's floating the idea. I think it was Adam Schefter's floating the idea of maybe doing one round a night, but like, that'd be great for the first four rounds. And you're like, where's this guy from? But it, I, I think it, it went really, really well. And, did you think Burrow seemed excited to be selected by Cincinnati? Like he must have heard that might might have been a possibility. It's you know I think like one of my favorite parts leading up to the draft every year, and not just when it's virtual. All the smoke screens, you know, like all like the kind of chatter that's being put out, whether it's by the teams themselves or just speculation. And and you know there was the whole conversation around Miami, what they were going to do with their pick, were they going to trade up to get to? Uh, was he going to fall to number five? Like all of those things. But with Joe Burrow, what was interesting is that the Cincinnati Bengals organization did want him to have that moment. So you know they didn't uh, necessarily. I believe what I read was that they didn't they waited to give him the call on the night, uh, which I think is, you know, however you want to go about it. Everyone knew though, that Joe Burrow was going number one overall to the Bengals and everyone knew it. So it didn't really matter what the Bengals were saying, uh, trying to make it sound like, you know, they weren't going to make an official announcement or release anything that would definitively say whether or not they were going to pick him at number one overall. Uh, everyone knew that was going to happen. You know, it, it just, that was the thing, but I, I loved getting to see inside Joe Burrow's uh, living room from that pick in that moment, you know, him standing up for the national anthem and, and all those things. I just, I think, you know, one great pick. I'm excited to see what Cincinnati is able to do and Joe Burrow translating his skills from the college level to the NFL. I'm really interested to see um, what he's able to do. I'm always intrigued by first year, you know, quarterbacks straight out of the draft, straight out of college, how they're able to adjust. We've seen some flops. We've seen some successes. So I think he'll be a fun one to watch and Tua as well. I hope Tua, it's a little bit of time to recover if he needs to, uh, but I don't anticipate that being the case down in Miami. 
There was definitely more than 10 people into his house. They, they were hiding in the kitchen. They were hiding in the basement. Give me a break. But now, but yeah, but like with that, I thought that um, he knew he was going to be going there. It was, it was predetermined. And Tua, the tanking for Tua has been going on since a couple of years ago in the national championship. He knew it was going to happen. There was going to be smoke screen. You knew, but nobody was trading up. He was going to fall in them. And the one thing I love that they're like, oh, there's no way we're going to get any medical people to check him out. Really? Really? You don't think you're going to drop a quarterback in the top five with hip, ankle, knee concerns and you're not going to get a doctor to him? You're going to pay a $5,000 fine to go check out your future of your franchise. Come on. So it's it, wild. It, I think, you know, it's a good pick. How do you pass on to a, it's a risk when, whether you take him or you don't take him, right? Like if you don't take him, uh, he gets picked up by, say, the Chargers and then he goes on to be a stud quarterback in the NFL. Uh, right up there with Patrick Mahomes and, and the likes of some of the other best of all time to play. Might be a little too soon to say that for Mahomes, but hey, I'm in Kansas City and I think he's done a pretty good job so far. But you know, it's a risk if you take him and it's a risk if you don't. Um, and I think the bigger risk was to not take him. So I think it was a good move overall by the Dolphins. And to your point, yeah, like they're going to they're going to do their due diligence beforehand, even if it's going to cost them more uh, to do it in the current state that we're living in versus you know maybe if things are a bit more normal. And speaking of the Chargers, is anybody in the division starting to scare you with either free agent moves, somebody they've signed, or anybody they drafted? I don't know if Justin Herbert's giving you nightmares or anything, but I think you guys should be okay. But is anybody kind of getting your attention? Um, I, I would honestly say I think the Broncos would be the one team where I'm a little bit more intrigued than the others, and here's why. I think with the Chargers, you're not going to see Justin Herbert come in, and I don't think he's going to take the starting role from Tyrod Taylor. I think he's going to kind of sit behind him for a year, maybe take some time to develop uh, and learn you know, how the pro system works and just kind of get more acclimated. The Chargers have a good defense. I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to come in and compete uh, right off the bat with Patrick Mahomes. And even though the Chargers do have some offensive pieces that are pretty solid, Austin Eckler being one of them, I just Chargers don't scare me as much. The uh, the Raiders tried to you know they picked up some um, some key pieces on the receiving end for their offense, but Derek Carr is not going to be the quarterback that's going to lead them to a successful run. On the other hand, though, with the Broncos, what I'm intrigued to see with them is that we haven't seen a lot from Drew Locke so far. Granted, he did kind of have a, a bit of a, a meltdown, if you want to call it, in the in the snow game against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. But before that, he had he was you know two and zero as a starting quarterback for the Broncos. And I think what the Broncos did in this draft was really smart, and that they loaded him up with weapons. And they're kind of using this season as like a hey. Show us what you got. Are you the future or are you not? It's not like the Packers where they haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round for Aaron Rodgers in the last, what, 15 years. This is, I think, the best move possible because they have a young quarterback, a quarterback who showed a lot of uh, potential in that last season. And even though the Broncos weren't going to make the playoffs, you know, they still got to see a nice peek as to what Drew Locke could potentially be for them. And so I think by selecting, you know, Jerry Judy and then bringing in the tight end, Alberto from Mizzou, and, uh, and then the, the wide receiver from Penn State, you know, making sure that they were using some of those picks to, to give 
Drew Locke, in addition to the players that they already have on this offense, some some options. And if he's not able to make anything happen with that, then maybe they know that quarterback is a position that they need to keep looking at and keep working towards finding that guy for them. And so I think that was the one team in the AFC West that, you know, it has the potential to be a bust and it has the potential to have a lot of upside because Drew Locke has a lot of talent. And I say this being a Missouri girl, um, and, you know, there was definitely some hard times with him at Mizzou, but is this, is this, you know, where he's going to thrive? And by giving him the weapons, you'll be able to know definitively, okay, do we give this guy everything that he would possibly need to succeed? If you can say yes, and then he still doesn't succeed, well then, again, you know uh, if you might need to move on from him or not sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think the Broncos might be one of the most up-and-coming teams to watch this year, just what they did to the offense. You already saw what Noah Fant did last year. They got Sutton from SMU a couple of years ago. He's really coming to his own. Brought in Jerry Judy. He's one of the best route runners you've seen in a long time. Then they went on and grabbed um, K.J. Hamler from Penn State, who's a burner. I know they're comparing him to Deshaun Jackson. Then you grabbed Albert O's, you were saying, who already has a rapport with Drew Locke, which is very interesting. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. But you, you were kind of second-guessing the Raiders. Are you not expecting Nathan Peterman to explode in year number two you know with the Raiders I really just think it all comes back to Derek Carr and I and I think with where the NFL is going you have to get that quarterback position right you can have a court and like this is my favorite way to describe a Patrick Mahomes for example one of the local beat writers in Kansas City calls him a force multiplier he's able to take players who aren't necessarily these star standout receivers and bring them into the game and make moves out of everything. Andy Reid is able to scheme up things that bring players into the game, schemes them open, and puts players in position to be successful. When you pair those two together, you're going to have a successful offense, whether you have the number one wide receiver or whether you would, like, if you don't. Like, that's just kind of how Kansas City operates. Derek Carr, you can surround him with as much talent. They take uh, Henry Ruggs III, and you know you can surround him with talent. I just don't, from what we've seen with Derek Carr, he's not going to take the Raiders to the next level. But he's another quarterback where I, I think it's going to be another situation where, okay, we, we brought in some more weapons. Is this going to be um, a season where you can make something out of it? Or is this going to be another kind of reassurance for us that maybe the quarterback position is what we still need to look at? All teams in the AFC West right now are chasing the Chiefs. And all the teams in the AFC West right now have the one thing that – or have don't have the one thing that the Chiefs have, and that's Patrick Mahomes. And I think as the NFL progresses, it's going to really just continue coming down to the quarterback. What we're seeing now, the Chiefs fell behind in all three of their postseason games before winning the Super Bowl. You can't win on a solid defense, but you can win when you have a, a, a quarterback who can – make big plays happen in a short amount of time. And that's how you win games now. Um, so yeah, you see the Ravens and what they did, they had a nice run, but what it showed in the end was that it wasn't enough to get them to where everyone thought they were going. And that's a Super Bowl. So I think the model is shifting. And as it always is going to in the NFL, you're going to see different, uh, you know, things be successful. And right now the thing that's the most successful is having a quarterback who can just kind of do a little bit of everything. And then they add a Clyde Edwards Elair into the mix, who is not only uh, a great running back, but also pretty darn good receiver as well. His route running ability, pass catching ability, he's going to add another layer to an already really dangerous offense. So yeah, the other teams in the AFC West, they might be trying to put up some points, try to win uh, on offense, but the chiefs are, are continuing to invest uh, in theirs. So it'll be tough. 
Absolutely. And speaking of the Chiefs, so you were covering them this season. They had the first Super Bowl, and I don't even know how long. You were you were always you went to all the games. You were, you told me you went to the Super Bowl. So what what was that? It just that feeling like pre, before the game even commenced. You you had a good feeling. They were the overarching favorites. What was just that energy like being around there in Miami with all the buzz? Yeah. So I was down in Miami for the week leading up to the Super Bowl. So Radio Row. And then I got back into Kansas City on Friday night. And then I had a show Saturday. And then Sunday with the actual Super Bowl, I was emceeing a huge watch party in Dallas, which was unbelievable. But the energy leading up to the Super Bowl, I think the craziest part was that one, the team you're covering is the one that everyone's talking about. So when you're sitting down doing these interviews, you're talking about a team that you covered all season with some of, you know, the the nation's top, you know, analysts, reporters, uh, you know, talk show hosts, all of those things. Uh, so it was really special. And I don't know what it was. There was something about this team where I want, I almost want to say them falling behind the way that they did in the Texans game 24, nothing. And then them falling behind even in the AFC championship game to the Titans as well. There was something about having overcome that adversity that even if the Chiefs did fall behind in the Super Bowl, everyone still had the confidence that they had what it, you know, what it took to come back. And I think that that was the difference maker. This team, you know, the defense started out a little shaky. Granted, they had a new defensive coordinator in Steve Spagnola, who was, you know, working to get the team on the same page. They sw- they switched from a three four to a four uh, three that they operated under Bob Sutton with. And then you know they bring in all these new players, so there are all these moving pieces. You also have to uh, factor in the injuries that they dealt with um, early in the season. Frank Clark. Chris Jones and a couple others in the mix. So I think, you know, the energy was really a lot. It was very confident talking with the players. And, and then I think the one thing for me and seeing it in the Super Bowl and then seeing it in those come from behind games was just the leadership. They had uh, a special way about them that when they were behind, no one ever believed that they were truly out. And I think it's pretty remarkable that a young quarterback like Patrick Mahomes could have the sense to rally his team in those situations. He's the one directing everything, right? When the offense is on the field, the fact that he was still able, um, you know, to, keep that belief that, Hey, yeah, we might be trailing by 10 points by 20 points, but we're not out of this yet. Knock it off, get it together. We're going to go win this game. And so I think because of that, the energy and the confidence was really, really high. That's not to say I wasn't freaking out a little bit in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl when the chiefs uh, were trying to come back and get, get ahead of the, the 49ers. But I, I think the, it just felt like it was the team. It was the year of destiny. There were a bunch of, you know, different random storylines that went into it. It just felt like it was the year and it happened to be that. Even though it was almost three months ago, it feels like it was so much longer than that. You were like there. And I know you were at the watch, but how, how long ago does it feel like for you? Uh, literally feels like 10 years ago. I can't believe that event happened in the same calendar year that we are currently in right now. Um, it, it truly like blows my mind and I, I have a hard time to like, so for example, this is what really trips me up. When Kobe Bryant passed away, that happened before the Super Bowl, And like, for whatever reason in my mind, like those two events already seemed so distant because of how, you know, strange and difficult that was for everybody. And then like, I can't, you know, have, there's no concept of time right now. So like, for me, I, I can't even fathom that that was three months ago and in the same calendar year that we are currently in right now. So it feels like forever. 
Yeah, like speaking of the Kobe Bryant thing, it still doesn't feel real. It, it, it's kind of like this. I would say there's, there's a few people in the world that they, they impact so many people and they touch so many lives, regardless of what they do, that like they feel like they're immortal. I mean, you, you've seen it in recent years. I think the ones that really kind of catch up because you remember where you were when that happened. And I think he's just such an influential people, somebody just larger than life. And then you had the game that next week. And then a few weeks later, like the country's shutting down. And you're just like, what the what is going on right here? But it's wild. And, and when you're talking about how like the days you can't really, can't really uh, like you, the days really don't matter anymore. I've kind of figured that it's, it's Tuesday, 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 Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It's tough. It's tough for sure. I'm like, I can't wait to get back to, and the other thing too, you know, working in sports, oftentimes you use like, okay, there's a game this Saturday or I have like, there, there are so many different events throughout your week that kind of help keep you on track with what day it is, even that, you know, it's like, okay, there's a press conference. I have this, you know, on this day and now it's just, everything's so fluid that it's hard to uh, wake up and know exactly. Like, for example, I literally wrote that it was Tuesday today. It's not. <laughs> oh, you're right. Wow. And that got me on that. On um, that, Yeah. It's honestly because Super Bowl Sunday and then the draft were like the only real days you really had to remember in that span. And that's wild. It's, it's insane. That's interesting. That's wild. And then so for this coming season, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We don't know when this thing's going to end. You know what it is going to end. That's a good thing. You know it's going to end. And even if if it's still not the same when it does come back, I do think football is going to play because I think the guys will, even if there's a lot of risk, I think they'll get them as ready as possible. They'll have medical, all the medical procedures. I don't think fans will be there. I don't think fans will be there. But if it does happen and we do have the season, regardless of how long it is, who's the biggest threat to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2020? Ooh, that's a good question because a lot of this is going to going to depend on how successful some teams' drafts were, right? Yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see. I think the Ravens had a great draft, and they're a team that you know they fell short last season. I think they addressed some key needs, um, and then I'm just interested to see can Lamar Jackson replicate that same success. Patrick Mahomes did have a I hate saying a down year after his NFL MVP title, but he did miss a couple games with the dislocated knee injury and the numbers were just insane. His first, you know, year as a starter that it was almost, it seemed, you know, almost more logical to say that he wouldn't repeat those kind of numbers, but I'm interested to see if Lamar Jackson can replicate that same success. I think, you know, you look at the way that that, uh, the season ended for them and there's a lot that can be learned uh, and I think a lot of maturity as well. So I'm, and, and also, you know, the big question with the Ravens is can the way that they operate on offense, is there, does it have a lot of longevity there? Can they keep that up? Is it sustainable? Uh, so I'm interested to see how that translates into this next season. And I think that's a big, you know, a big question mark for the Chiefs as well. The Chiefs didn't have to see them in the postseason, which is pretty crazy to think about. And um, that's definitely a team that a lot of Chiefs fans and, you know, everyone in Kansas City was a little worried about them having to go up against. Um, aside from the Ravens, though, I mean, if we're looking at the AFC West in particular, I already talked about the Broncos. I just, the only reason they're a team that sticks out to me is because of all, you know, the unknowns. We haven't really gotten to see Drew Locke uh, as an NFL quarterback in at least a large enough sample size to say if he's going to be a threat or not. And then, you know, 
look at the weapons that they've added on offense. Um, I'm also just excited to see, you know, just looking at the league in general, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, you bring back Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, you know, getting shipped off there is just crazy in and of itself. But, you know, I, I think the one thing with that team is it's a big question mark. They've got weapons for Tom Brady, but is Rob Gronkowski going to come back and be as impressive of a player and as, you know, dangerous as he was when he was at his best his last season he had a completely down year he suffered some injuries is he re- is he really just truly refreshed and completely healthy coming back Tom Brady's and his you know early to approaching mid 40s is this guy going to be able to uh does he have enough in the tank to keep it going but I think there's you know intriguing storylines there uh I also think that the Arizona Cardinals uh I, I think that's a, a bit of a sleeper team uh in terms of you know they've got Kyler Murray at quarterback, Cliff Kingsbury kind of running that offense. And then they bring in a guy like DeAndre Hopkins from the Texans. And I think that that could be a team that as they continue to add pieces and grow and develop could be a, a pretty solid team in the next couple of years, if not sooner. And then before I let you go, who is somebody, you know, the team, you've seen the players, you're all there all the time. Who's somebody, somebody under the radar you think could break out this year? Well, I wish I would have asked you this before the Super Bowl. I actually did a prop bet. I said that Tyron Matthew was going to pick off Garoppolo. Turns out it was just the two former Redskins. I used to watch all the time that never did it. But so there was, I'm still, I'm not, I got no ill will, but no, yeah. So who's somebody that either they picked up in free agency or somebody really didn't have a big role last year, this year that you're like, all right, this guy's on the rise i'd have to say last year's rookie receiver mccall hardman who the chiefs traded up to take in last year's draft at number 56 he came in and originally when he was drafted it was kind of with the intent that he might have to replace tyree kill due to all of the uncertainty at the time with some of the legal issues and other things that were going on with him and, and as it you know concerned the chiefs so mccall hardman comes in and has a great rookie season and did a ton for the team not just uh, you know, within the offense, but on special teams as well. And he's someone who was, you know, even if you're looking just kind of at the depth chart, he was doing all of this on a limited number of snaps. This is a guy who had, you know, average 11.5 yards after the catch per reception last year, six touchdowns, uh, again, had a, that huge return against the Texans in, um, you know, in the divisional round game on special teams that, in my opinion, really turned the game around. I think he's, he's a player who has a huge upside, in my opinion. I think he's got a lot of potential, and we got to see a really good, we got a really good look at what he has the potential to be again in a limited number of snaps and in a limited number of, you know, situations where I think that there's still, you know, a lot to be seen and learned with him. And now that he's had a year playing with Patrick Mahomes, a year in this offense, a year as a pro, more importantly, I think we could see big things from him coming up in 2020, which will be really big for the Chiefs because they've got two receivers on one-year deals, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson. Uh, They're going to have to really look at that group again, you know, next draft and then in free agency going forward because, you know, when those players are gone, if they end up costing too much, they're going to depend on guys like Cole Hardman and, and some other young ones to uh, come up and fill those roles. I'm excited. I wish football would start tomorrow, but hopefully we're, we're fingers crossed September and I want to see Patrick Mahomes get back on the field. But I really wanted to thank you again for coming on today. And then how can people reach you on social media and, and follow your show on Saturdays? Yeah. So you can check me out on social media, really simple at Allie Trost, A-L-Y-T-R-O-S-T. I tweet quite a bit, so you can hop in 
conversation. I love Twitter. Um, on you know my show, you can either stream it live on 810whb.com. Again, that's located in Kansas City at Sports Radio 810 on Twitter. Uh, we've got an app, 810WHB. You can stream, get the podcasted version after the show if you can't listen live. But I am on air from 9 to 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.